Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma, and today I have a returning guest, uh, one of my most famous guests, I would say, Randall Schwartz. Now, Randall, it's been, what, about a year, actually more than a year, you said. It's been a real long time now. About a year and a half. I think it was like February of 22. So yeah, that would definitely be a while back. And boy, I tell you, in, in that amount of time, you're basically... You've had Dart go through two 45-degree turns. You've had Flutter totally envelop Material 3 and three more platforms. I mean, that's a long period of time in the Dart and Flutter universe. So, yeah. So, thanks for having me back. This is great. Well, we brought you back to talk about uh, Dart 3, which has been quite the most popular news. And you're a GDE still, right? Uh, yes, yes. I'm I'm one of the original crew for Dart and Flutter GDEs. Uh, in fact, I was a GDE for six months before they had the Flutter title, and they made me a web GDE, even though I'd only interviewed for Flutter. And I went, why'd you give me web? And they went, well, you know, you're also kind of known for that web thing. We think probably you would have qualified if we'd asked you those questions. So I got that for the six months, and then I was part of the original group of uh, Dart and Flutter GDEs. So, yes, I'm still that, still uh, act- uh, actively uh, pursuing all the things that that means, which is being a, um unpaid DevRel for uh, Dart and Flutter. I spent a lot of time patrolling all the uh, regular socials like uh, Discord and Slack and uh, up until two days ago, Reddit <laughs> and Stack Overflow. Uh, and, and we can talk about that too, actually. This is kind of interesting. Um, and uh, uh, trying to answer all the questions I can. Uh, it's only mostly altruistic. By answering people's questions, I get smarter. So the other side is that I also make presentations for uh, virtual GDGs and other meetups. Uh, relating to Dart and Flutter, and I try to attend pretty much every meeting that shows up virtually uh, on the GDG community uh, look site and things like that. And uh, I would be attending uh, meetups in person, like we just had Google I.O., and we also had I.O. Connect in Miami. Uh, when I say we, I mean all the people like me got to go to those, but I broke my hip a year and a half ago. And I'm still waiting for the replacement surgery, so I'm not traveling at all. So everything I'm doing is virtual these days. And uh, there's some blessings and some cursings to that. I really enjoyed all my travels over the years. I calculated at one point that I spent 3% of my waking hours in flight uh, between mid-90s and mid-2010s. So, um, yeah, it's an actually mid no, early 2020, Well, whenever COVID hit in, that's pretty much the end of the cycle. I think I measured. Um, so yeah, I enjoy traveling, but that ain't in the cards anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the, the first time we tried to hook up, I mean, you, you were just traveling, right? Was that the last time you kind of traveled outside of the U.S.? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yes. I have not flown since returning back from a Tijuana hospital where I was being repaired the first time for my hip. They put a pin in it and apparently it didn't stick. So now I've got to have an entire hip replacement and I'm waiting for the scheduling on that. And because I'm on the, uh, the sort of the super cheapest uh, Oregon health plan, 
the, the COVID support group. Uh, I'm waiting for all the scheduling to all happen. So it's kind of like day by day. We'll see. <laughs> so you never got it fixed or did I, did I mistake what you said? It was pinned, which allowed me to at least leave, but it's causing me great discomfort. I can only, if I sit for an hour and then stand up, my leg, my hip goes uh, annoyingly painfully up. So it's like every time I stand, I've got to like prepare. It's like ripping a Band-Aid off. You know, you know it's going to hurt, but you're just trying to pick what time you're going to do that. Um, and so, and, and if I walk further than about a block, I'm pretty much toast. So, uh, yeah, so I haven't been uh, making any Fitbit goals for the last year and a half. That's uh, definitely true. And the irony of this is it was the night before my 60th birthday. I had flown down to Tijuana to the apartment I had formerly co-owned to stay with my friend and go party for my 60th birthday in Tijuana. And instead, I spent my 60th birthday in an emergency room. In, in a Tijuana hospital and then spent the next two weeks there. And I think that was when we were scheduled to hook up together. I remember getting the email. I was like, if this was like, uh, I don't know, a student or something, it's like, this is one of the worst excuses I've ever heard that they could not beat up. And I was like, no, I, I trust that he would not make up a story. And if he did, it wouldn't be so outrageous. It doesn't even make sense. There is a lot of my life, I've been told by my friends and by my acquaintances, there's a lot of my life that people don't believe all actually happened to one person. But trust me, I went through all of this. I know. I think, and I've kind of explained it to some people as, I'm just going to make sure that when I finally write my autobiography, they end up placing it in the fiction section because there's no way it could have all happened to one person. But I've lived this life. I know what it's like. I owned a bar. I've flown a plane for 270 hours. And I could rattle stuff like that off all day. And and you'd go, that couldn't have all happened to one guy. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, we we, we don't need to talk about so much of your past because we, we went into that last episode and I think that's an episode people should check it out if they want to hear more about your past. But I mean, a lot has changed since, since then. I mean, you're doing a, a weekly show, right? At the moment. Yeah. I, uh, I hooked up with uh, Simon Lightfoot and Scott Stoll who had been doing um, a casual uh, zoom only hump day Q and a where they would basically have office hours and people could come in on zoom and ask them questions. And they decided, why are we doing this in private? Let's do it in public. So they got all the StreamYard things set up and the YouTube channel set up. And so under the flutter community umbrella, they're doing a weekly show or uh, say they now, like I'm not involved, but, but, but we're doing a weekly show uh, called Hump Day Q&A AMA. And uh, it's every Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. Uh, uh, Google headquarters time, which means Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time, whatever 
Google is experiencing. Um, that's the easiest way to make sure everybody agrees and we don't have the stupid DST transition problems in Europe and, and South America and all the other things that could possibly go wrong. It's always 9 a.m., whatever Google calls 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. Um, and so I've been, uh, I joined in originally kind of to be a guest occasionally and then uh, we changed the way we do questions where we're taking questions from a live YouTube chat and I've become the title of question magician, which means that my primary role on the show, even whether I'm on screen or not, is to watch the chat and to flag the things that are marked with a Q colon in the front. We like to say, put a Q in front of it and we'll put it in our Q. Oh, bad puns. And so I, that's my job is to watch the questions, watch for things that can be answered. If it doesn't get marked with a cue, I consider it just chat amongst people because they do that occasionally. They'll answer each other's questions in the chat and we don't need to get involved then. Because usually by the middle of the show, we're trying to make it a two hour show. Rarely have we gotten under three hours in the last six months, but that's another story. Anyway, so we're aiming for a two-hour show. By the middle of that show, we often have enough questions to carry us all the way through the second hour and then some. So we try to cut off fairly early. Uh, I've taken it up to actually say, well, if you didn't get it in today's show, come back in 166 hours. Because I figured out that 168 hours is, 20, is, you know, seven days. And so I always say, well, 166 hours, come on back. And uh, start over again when we start again. And so that's been fun. I've been on about half of the shows. If we have one or two guests, I drop out only because I don't like the way StreamYard does five people and six people. It starts getting really crowded on the screen. So I only want to be the fourth person, but not the fifth person. And we defer to the guests. We have a couple of regular guests that we have on a lot. Uh, John Weitzman from, uh, oh, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, Weitzman, something like that. Sorry, John. Um, and uh, and then a couple of uh, like Danielle and uh, Stephanie, who come on from time to time as well. Uh, they're both from the Flutteristas organization. And, uh, but we're really trying every time to get somebody out of um, Google HQ. And we have had that from time to time. Uh, which has been good. We have inside connections for that. And we uh, obviously take advantage of that and try to get real Googlers on talking about real cool things. What kind of questions are people actually asking? Uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of them are repeat questions. Uh, people will ask the same thing. What is the best state manager? Uh, we hate that question now just because it's, Best depends on your criteria. You know, for me, it's, I, I never see a reason not to use Riverpod. That just straight up. Um, and I could go into a few minutes of that if you want. But, uh, but that kind of question is what comes up frequently. Uh, but we do get some interesting questions that are difficult to express in the 150 characters of a, <laughs> of a, uh, a YouTube chat. And so that's always fun. So typically what I'll end up telling them in the chat is uh, take that to Discord. You're going to need to post some code. Um, the YouTube chat also filters any URLs. So people are always trying to say, I have this code. And they put the URL 
And how does it do this? And then later they say, why didn't you ask me my question? And I go, did it have a URL in it? Because if it has a URL in it, we don't even see it. It gets filtered by YouTube. So uh, there's that kind of an issue too. But other than that, yeah, we get some we get some good questions. Often it's about really topical things, like right after Flutter Forward and right after uh, Google I/O. There were a lot of questions about things that had just happened on those. And fortunately, of course, we're participating in those things pretty heavily, so uh, those are easy for us to answer and talk about. But uh, they're pretty general sometimes. And then Simon has been. Uh, wonderfully doing live coding towards the end of the show. And we'll take questions about the live coding. And we've also done uh, a few times done a code review where we take one of the audience members and put their code up and Simon dices through it. So that's pretty cool. Did you ever get any kind of life questions like how do I meet with girls or something like that? I know a lot of these kind of weird questions you might get. It's pretty much on topic. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's a rare opportunity to be able to talk to people like Simon and our guests. Uh, so people are pretty aware that they would be abusing a forum for that if they ask things that are too deviant from that. I do have the power as a moderator in the channel to uh, to even delete those things. So it's uh, I've used that only about once every other show and it's usually because some spammer comes through and tries to do something stupid but uh they're, they're a pretty well behaved group and it's it's a strange show in that it gets about a thousand downloads weekly but we only get about 50 people live and you think if there's a thousand people who are watching this for two hours a week that they wouldn't also try to make sense of it to get on. And it's on early in the morning, which means it's, you know, late but reasonable in Europe, you know, because uh, Simon's running the show too, and he's it's his, it's his early evening, you know, he's in the UK. And you would think we'd have more live people, but we typically don't, and yet we get a 1,000 downloads, so... I don't know, maybe their cats are watching. Maybe it's on for their cats to watch while they go to work that day. I don't know. But somehow there's a thousand downloads. Yeah, that's not easy to do. I mean, it's a pretty, I don't know how you say it. I mean, it's a pretty niche topic and not everybody is interested in this particular thing. I think people always want to find out how can I create this UI or how can I do use this uh, library not really interested to see like a live question live q and I don't think it's so popular yeah it, it's 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 a it's a bit of a different uh, plan because we don't know what we're going to talk about so we're prepared it's always funny because we laugh about the fact that Simon can simultaneously be addressing the question while googling for or going to a URL immediately for the answer to that topic because backstage we can see his screen come up and changing to the thing he's talking about. And I, I don't know how he does that. I can't type in Google at the same time I'm talking to you. There's just no way I don't have that kind of layering of my brain, but he's excellent at that. Um, occasionally he's doing that while one of us is coming up with part of the answer. So 
I can see that, but just how is he answering the question and finding the right thing at the same time? I think it's the same thing that when I was learning to play keyboard, uh, I could never press the notes and sing along because it was like two different parts of my brain to try to get to happen at the same time and never was very good at that. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I've never met the guy, but I can imagine. And I have to join sometime for the Q and A. It might be a little bit late for me. What is it? So it's it's nine a.m. Wednesday uh, in Pacific time. It, we started at eight. We started at eight my time, so it'd be one hour later. One hour later. Okay. Yeah, that's about midnight my time. Ah, oh, you're way over around the corner then. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. That's it's a little a bit tricky for me, but I can try to make it sometime and check it out. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I've been trying to get speaking about the being respectful of time, Simon's time. I've been trying to get him on the show for forever. Yep, <laughs> it's very difficult to get a hold of his time. So it's good if people can respect his time because yeah, he's not easy to get a hold of. Yeah, I think he already thinks that because he's spending you know three hours a week on this show that he probably isn't. A, and and he also is coordinating uh, London things. Um, uh, like they just had a big meet up there, big organizational meet up there, um, and occasionally remoting into other virtual meetups around the world. That I think he probably thinks he's he's pretty booked. Um, so I can understand if he's if you've had some rejections from his requests. That's uh, that's definitely a big story there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a bunch of rejection. I think it's just hard to get his get all of his uh, his time. Um, so, but that's, I mean, in, in any case, uh, okay, that's, that's good. I mean, I do see your name pop up a few times. I think I mentioned the last time when we had the podcast episode, our first interaction was like a mini fight between you and me about something. I forgot what it was, some, some topic. I think I, I forgot what it was, but we had some bantering back and forth on a Facebook comment. And yeah. then I do see your name pop up quite a few times on, uh, I think it's Tadas's, uh, um, discord channel you're often on there so like what you said i i see i see you in those two places a lot a lot on facebook and discord so i don't know how you find the time to go to all these different communities i cannot well discord has now multiplied there's probably seven flutter discords that i mean that i try to visit on a regular basis and thank goodness i finally discovered the command i uh info window i hadn't known about this before i'd been going through each individual server and clicking on everything that was lit up and now i just hit command i and i have a little check mark that says read this bing read this bing read this bing oh it's so much easier but yeah i spend more time than i should probably uh, i call it patrolling the socials where i spend a lot of time trying to figure out uh, what the pulse of the community is by the kinds of questions they're asking. Uh, I have the ear of people at Google. I'm, I'm a liaison, essentially, Deverell job. So I, I can talk to people specifically at Google if I start sensing something's going on in the community, and I have used that a couple times in the past. Um, but mostly what I'm doing is trying to calibrate what I should be learning to be more useful in my commercial uh, ventures uh, because I'm selling myself full-time as a, as a consultant in the areas of Dart and Flutter as well. 
and uh, that is trying to pay the bills. And but I, when I have spare time, obviously, I'm doing all these um, essentially publicity events. You know, by going out to Discord and Stack Overflow, and um, I'm pretty much avoiding Facebook these days. That it, it's so fragmented. And you can't post code very well on Facebook. It's a really poor place to have a programming question and answer. And so I'm just sort of disgusted with that. And up until a couple of days ago, I was doing a lot of work on the um, subreddit for Flutter. And as of a couple of days ago in protest with the new API charges, that went dark. And I support them taking it dark although it was one of the better places to get questions and answers handled because you do have the, uh, to have a good question and answer strategy, you have to have the way to be able to vote on other people's answers. That is mandatory. And Reddit had that. Um, Medium sort of has that in that anybody can comment on the other thing. I hate people who publish articles on blogs that don't allow me to comment on them. And it's not because I need to get my name out there, but it's because some people get things wrong. I get things wrong. You've got to be open to people correcting when you make a mistake. And if you just publish a blog entry and it's wrong, all you're doing is making the world a sadder place. And so please, please post in places like Medium where I can come along and go, well, that's almost right, but you haven't done this. One of the rash of things I'm seeing recently, and this is actually related to what's new in, in Dart. One of the rash of things I'm seeing recently is people writing articles on isolates where they'll talk about how do you get, you know, alternate thread processing in Dart, which applies to Flutter as well. And in Dart, the way you get alternate threads is you use an isolate. Back in the early days, there was one ugly way of making an isolate called isolate spawn. You had to send all the data to that separate thread through a very narrow pipeline that could only handle certain kinds of data and also involved a serialization and deserialization step on the way through. And then it had to run, and then you had to deal with all the possible error conditions and everything. That's classic. By the way, that still works. I'm not saying that went away. But then they got smarter and created the compute function, which was so nice, because as long as you had a global function and it was in Flutter, sadly, this was not, only, not in Dart, it was only in Flutter, uh, you could pass things relatively pain-free into a function to run and then capture the result and bring it back. That's good. That was a nice interim, but it was Flutter only. Now, as of the most recent, uh, well, no, the second most recent Dart, Dart 2.19, we have Isolate Run, which is almost completely wide open. You simply say Isolate Run, this uh, callback with a, the returns of future. And that's all you need to do. It handles all the piping of the data over. It handles all the errors coming back by re-throwing them on your side. It is ideal. It's also efficient, both going towards the isolate and coming back from the isolate by having managed control 
of the data you're transferring back and forth. So it's ideal. Okay, so now in the last six months, I can tell you that I've seen five or six articles published on Medium and maybe a few other places, but Medium is the one I watch the most that have not mentioned isolate run in the slightest. And it upsets me in the sense that why aren't you just starting with the easiest way to do it and explaining why you still might want to look at the other two? You know, and I understand it is, here's the thing. I've learned to recognize chat GPT. I will read so many people's articles. I can tell if there's a human behind the phrases or whether it's definitely mechanical and the guy doesn't know, the person who's posting it doesn't know anything about what they're posting because there'll be an occasional gibberish jump or because ChatGBT stopped training two years ago, which was before Isolate Run, they never mentioned Isolate Run. And so I have to come in with my comment and say, why didn't you mention Isolate Run? And the problem is you've put that article out there and I've ended up, you know, having to correct that just to make sure that you're not uh, in general reducing people's ability to use Dart and Flutter correctly. So, yeah. I mean, I still get a lot of questions about, you know, what's an isolate? And I've never heard that before. People who've been doing Flutter for many years. Yeah. I mean, isolates are not something that everybody needs to use all the time, right? No, no. It's it's useful when you have something that's fairly CPU bound. Because the problem with uh, async await is great. It's cooperative multitasking is what we used to call it back in the day. I think people still call it that. But for me, it's cooperative multitasking, which means that different parts of your application can basically uh, say, hey, I'm waiting for something. You can go ahead and let something else run in the meanwhile. And that's what await is doing and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And then vid.van is doing essentially and so on. And so um, uh, that's great, but it only basically uses one or two cores in your system. And we all have multi-core systems now. An isolate is a way to start burning more cores. And that's useful so that you're using the full CPU power of your uh, machine that you've got working. Um, and again, back in the old days, it was so hard to start up an isolate that was sort of only talked about with some sort of, you know, you'll have to climb the mountain and address the gods to be able to use this thing. Now with isolate run, you could even drop it into uh, a for loop, you know, where you're just going through and, and just creating a bunch of uh, futures. And then you use future.wait or the new record.wait um, to, uh, to wait for all of them to finally finish at the same time and much easier strategy now. Yeah. So you, you can basically do a, a list of, uh, a record of, um, uh, uh, isolate dot run something comma isolate dot run something else, isolate dot run comma something else, something else comma. And then a, a dot wait at the end of the parenthesis, because that's a record and all those things will be waited for. And uh, you get the results individually typed out of each of those. Really awesome stuff. 
Well, I think you should take us into into basically the main topic, which is Dart Three, right? Record, I believe, is like what we usually have, like a tuple or a tuple, right? In other languages, no. It's the equivalent of a class that's holding strongly typed members, but without all the mechanism for a class. So a record has a shape, uh, and the shape has both positional parameters and named parameters. And if that sounds familiar, like the things you call a function with, that's deliberate. They definitely wanted to put the syntax to be as close as possible to both the version of what you're doing when you call a function and also how you pick up the parameters on the other side of the, the formal parameter list when you're actually in the function. So the way to create a record looks like calling a function. The way to take a record apart looks like you're invoking a function. And in fact, there's some discussion in the records proposal about maybe someday we can actually use this as a meta strategy and say this function is invoked by this record plopped into the right place. But the concern was is that they hadn't spec'd out how they would handle default parameters and required parameters yet. And uh, so maybe expect in a year or so an update to records where we can use them as finally as ways of capturing var args, for example. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, yeah, so maybe maybe in the future. So records are a big deal because they allow us to have a group collection of data that can kind of be handed around, uh, created, pulled apart. They are always um, uh, um, immutable, which is really nice. So we don't have to think about uh, somebody changing the value of one of these things. No, they can only create a new one based on the old one. And that uh, enforces certain things, which makes it kind of fun. Um, the other thing that is really tied into that is destructuring. So that's the other side of records. So you create a record by using items and names for items, and then you take it apart on the other side when you create a variable, for example, you can create variables based on those values, which leads into the other thing that Dart 3 introduced, which is patterns. Patterns are basically that destructuring, but taken to the next level where we can, uh, we've, we've replaced the old switch case with a new thing where each element is essentially a pattern that can be tested against some incoming data. And if the pattern matches, the corresponding case is selected or the corresponding expression in the case of a switch expression is calculated. And this opens up all sorts of things. For one, it gave us finally switch expression. Everybody's been wanting that for years. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I wrote basically a stupid subroutine that all it had was switch, case, case, return, case, return, case, return, because really, I just wanted one a different value based on whichever case it was. Now we can do that all directly in line with the switch expression. So that's the first benefit out of this. But the other, again, is that we have patterns. And the patterns can match types. So all this time uh, that we've been doing with both JSON and with um, Firebase re returns, 
where we have to say, if this element is present in this map, then treat it as a, a secondary map, which has this kind of key and this kind of value. So we end up explicitly having a series of ises and ases all the way down to be able to drill down into a complex data structure like we'd see back from JSON decode or back from Firebase. Now we can essentially provide a template that looks extremely close to how you would create the template, create the data, I should say. And yet it's going to extract that data in exactly that set of variables provided the shape matches. And you can say, well, what if the shape doesn't match? Well, you can have alternate cases. You can say, well, if it doesn't match this, then maybe it matches that. I'm thinking of some APIs I've had to deal with where the API designer and all their brilliant wisdom decided that this field for a given JSON key could be either a single item or a list. I don't know if you've ever run into those. Man, they're annoying. Because you can't use off-the-shelf code, maybe created by a JSON converter and a bunch of other stuff that's out there for doing that. Because it can't sort of determine on the fly which of those to do. Guess what? I can now do that with the matching stuff in a pattern. Because I can say, oh, if this happens to be a list, do it this way. Oh, if it happens to be a, a single item, make it a list of one item. And now we have that available to us at every level. So much nicer. Is it just me or is more more languages becoming more functional-like? I see this as a very functional kind of bunch of features, right? Yeah. Um, it's, been, it's been an interesting climb with Dart. Uh, and and you've, you've got to remember that Dart has now taken three, I call them 45-degree turns. So Dart, Dart 1 was originally, you know, basically just a smarter JavaScript. And it was only intended as that. Everything was loosey-goosey. Types really didn't matter much. They were just sort of indications to people that things were going on. And then we got Dart 2 when Flutter came out because we needed stronger typing to be able to make sure that when we're converting this stuff, uh, we, we know what possible types are available in a particular um, uh, element to cross over to the compiler. And then we got uh, Dart 2.12, which was NNBD, non-null by default, finally. And at both the Dart 1 to Dart 2 and the Dart 2 to Dart 2.12 changes, we were invalidating some previous code. So there were breaking changes at both levels. Dart 3 has many fewer breaking changes, but it opens up a whole new problem space because of patterns and records and also sealed classes, which we're probably going to get to in a minute, apparently. Um, but because of those, I call it another 45 degree change. It really sort of upsets the fundamental things you're going to do in a 50-line program. So it doesn't take very long until you're going to want a pattern. It doesn't take very long until you're going to want a record, uh, as opposed to some of the more esoteric things that changed between those mileposts that I just mentioned, where, oh, you, now you can do isolate run, that sort of thing. You know, so these are real fundamental changes. 
And fascinatingly, what that also means is that every book that is teaching you Dart from scratch is now invalid again. <laughs> it's invalid every time we take one of those 45 degree turns. And this is part of the reason I've never written a book on Dart or Flutter is because they wouldn't have a long enough shelf life for me to recoup my investment. Uh, I wrote some wildly successful books on Pearl back in the day. And only because there was only one Larry Wall, Pearl could only change so fast. And so my books had long staying power. In fact, speaking of long tail on that, I'm still getting a hundred bucks a month off a book I wrote 20 years ago. Okay. So that's good. And now it's been, it's gone through seven editions since then. And I've been involved in only some of those, but, but nevertheless, I'm still making money on a book I wrote 20 years ago. Uh, there are, every, I'll just say it this way. Every book that's in print, even if it's just e-print is now out of date because of Dart 3, because you need to know patterns and records in the early days. I kept saying, I don't envy the people who are doing the dart.dev website and to how many more things they're going to have to add to the tour. And they did a remarkable job. They add just enough stuff to kind of give you a sense of records and a sense of patterns and a sense of sealed classes without going into a really huge detail in the tour. And uh, that was a careful balance there. But yes, it was significant. Yes, it did take some correction. I ended up filing a few issues on that and they immediately applied them. So that was fun. But this is Dart 3 is in fact, yeah, another one of those game changing 45 degree turns in the course of Dart as it goes through history. Yeah, you, you reminded me of, I think the big change I was, I was in Flutter was about the, uh, the nullable types, right? With the question mark. And I just remember when that came out, there was, I don't know how long it was. It it was short, but it was pretty significant where I at least for me, I was like maybe one to three to six months, there was a lot of new people were like, What are these question marks? Like I'm going through tutorial and, and uh, this thing is just not working. Like I don't understand. And I decided myself, as soon as I saw the, the 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 question marks, I was like, Okay, this is gonna be a huge problem. And let me just, you know, sit back, drink my water and see how it goes. Not to make fun of them, but just I'm just curious what's gonna happen. And it was huge, right? It was a big problem. I'm sure you've seen a lot of this, right? Because you were involved in the community much more than me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like I said, at every one of those inflection points, it has been interesting to watch the stuff that was made invalid get brought up in discussion forums. And we have to simply say, and in fact, this is a very standing rule that I tell people all the time. It's in part of one of my shortcuts that I type about how to get more help on stuff is don't look at anything that is six months old without consulting an expert. Because it's likely that anything that's over six months old will have some fundamental brokenness to it or misadvice. For example, there was the one... And we, we aren't seeing this so much right now, but early on, Firebase changed, for example, how to get the current user from a future to a current, from a synchronous to a synchronous call. And you kept seeing people go, I need to await this get my current user. And I go, why are you awaiting 
getting current user. That's been changed for a year. But it's because they Googled Firebase, Flutter, blah, blah, blah. And what they're getting is legacy stuff that they're seeing. We're seeing this also particularly in Riverpod because Remy is a prolific author in code, <laughs> not a prolific author in documentation. He knows it. He admits it. He leaves it to us to document all the cool stuff about Riverpod. When Riverpod 2 came out, uh, it came out with a new strategy for how notifiers and providers related to each other and the right kinds of notifiers and providers to use for most modern circumstances. Unfortunately, this effectively invalidated state notifier and its provider, uh, change notifier and its provider, and um, and state provider, which is standalone. Those five classes should not be used at all now. If you're writing brand new code, please stay away from those five. Every function of those is available in the new notifier, async notifier, and stream notifier, and their three corresponding providers. And the three classic provider, future provider, and stream provider. So you should only be using the modern providers, but a lot of the documentation still has the old stuff. And so I'm, I have a, one of these little quick shortcut blurbs that I post all the time now. Here's the ones you should use. Here's the ones you stay away from. Please, you know, Remy is out running us in terms of documentation. So we're trying to catch up. And that's a problem, too, because if you use the wrong ones, you'll still get a result. And they're still supported. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, Remy's yanking those. But they, they don't have the same feature set that the new stuff does. And they don't necessarily link as well together. For example, you want the new ones because you can generate them with RiverPod Generator. And you have to use the generator if you want hot reload automatically to work, and if you want your dependency management to automatically work instead of having to declare it by hand, and if you don't want to have to figure out what the full name of a ref is, oh my God, those are, it's tricky stuff that's all handled automatically by the builder. And when we get macros another six months or a year from now, uh, which would be another game changer, another 45 degree change. Uh, when we finally get macros though, Everything that you're doing now with the builder will just drop right in transparently to the to macros, so that'll be easier. Well, you're saying builder, but you mean build runner, right? Build runner, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I've been looking forward to that because that build runner is just painful, especially yep. you got to wait for it. You, I mean, at least you have the watch command, but the problem is the initial build, mm -hmm. and then yeah, and then explaining it to somebody, and also the many iterations we had. It's like I forgot what it was always Dart Pub run or something and then, then they got flutter run or not flutter run but flutter pub run yep. the, the commands get confusing and they keep i don't know if they keep changing but it definitely gets confusing right and i understand why they added what flutter right because flutter this flutter that and all of a sudden it's dart pub something and it didn't make sense right i think that was probably the ideas no yeah well they got rid of the pub command uh they uh there used to be six or seven little commands that sort of uh, polluted the path and now it's all hidden behind either flutter or dart 
So that was the, a, a big change. Uh, for me, running Build Runner, though, has become much simpler upon discovering two VS Code plugins. So I don't know if you're a VS Code user or not, but the two you want to get, one is from Luke Pigetti, that essentially on the Mac makes uh, command option B, be run the builder on this file right here, the one I'm editing. Just run the builder here. And that's really quick because it doesn't have to go out and analyze all the different files that might have watched. So I don't run my watcher anymore. I just run this command when I build a new file and I'm going to change it. I just smart enough to remember to hit that again. Uh, I bet I could even make that automatic on save. No, because it wouldn't know which ones to do. And the fact that I know this is a built file gives me a bit of advantage to know I should be building it. Uh, so that's the one extension I really like. There's another one, and I forget who it belongs to, or what the extension name is. Maybe I'll find it you know, on, online on the next, on the, before, and put you can put it in the show notes. But it's called, uh, I think it's called Build Runner uh, Dart. So Dart Build Runner. If you look for that in the extension kit, it creates a panel that for every build YAML file it finds, it will create an entry. And from that entry, you can either say, run it once or run a watcher. I never type the watcher command anymore. I just will click one of those instead. But mostly I find it's a lot faster just to use Luke Pigetti's, uh, you know, B command for build. And that's plenty enough time for me. And it gets it immediately and I can see what the changes are. And it works really well. Those two took the pain out of building for me. Still would rock, still want macros though. <laughs> still want macros. Yeah, that well, I mean, of course, I I definitely still want want the macros because if we can just get rid of Build Runner in general, we don't need this kind of stuff. Would be it'd be nice to have. But yeah, I, I mean, do you? I mean, what are you allowed to say anything about macros? Because obviously, as a GDE, you know some things, but you're not allowed to say something. Uh, right? I'm I'm on an NDA, uh, but in terms of that kind of future scheduling. I'd say the best thing is to watch the language funnel. If you just Google for Dart language funnel, you'll know all the proposals and what stage they're in. And it's a really great thing. I look at that funnel probably every couple of weeks just to kind of make sure that things haven't changed status and I'm not aware of them yet. And macros is in there called metaprogramming or something. But uh, yeah, macros in there is still in being specced, as I recall last time I looked. But that's also a great way to find out about everything I've just been talking about. Everything that went into three is linked from the implemented column there. And so you can drill down and see the engineering specs. Now, having been a technical writer for many of my previous years, I know there's a huge difference between engineering specs and between and end user documentation. So you'll have to kind of, you know, bear down a bit if you're reading through the engineering specs, trying to figure out what this stuff is actually about. But a lot of it is written pretty well. You know, it's uh, it's definitely not like back when I was staring at things that had like pin out diagrams and stuff like that. And I had to kind of make sense of this for the user. Um, so it's a little bit easier these days. I think this metaprogram is supposed to be in Dart 3, no? But it didn't make the cutoff? What was supposed to be Dart macros? I think macros was. That's what I remember somebody saying. No, it was being worked. It, it was being worked on, and the word I heard from various people is that they want to be very careful when they put this in, 
Because whatever API they expose in metaprogramming, they're committed to. It cannot have breaking changes any more than the external stuff can have breaking changes. Because you're going to end up deploying code that uses these meta interfaces. Up until this point, if you're writing, say, a, um, a code rewrite so that VS Code can automatically change this into that, or a lint, which is where those code rewrites sit in, then uh, you had to kind of deal with the fact that the API surface that you're talking to can change from release to release in Dart. And you had to keep tracking that. And it was your responsibility. And the Dart programmers wouldn't arbitrarily change that, capriciously change that. But they might change it because they found a better way to represent internal data structures. And once macros hit, whatever API surface is in there is going to have to be committed to breaking changes strategies once that's out. And so it's taking longer than they originally planned. They were trying to figure out good ways to do it. And they also put all their energy into records and, and patterns and uh, sealed uh, classes because that really made a difference in the Dart 3 release. And so rather than also then only doing that halfway while they're still moving macros forward, that would have been silly. I mean, well, continuing on, I mean, we, we talked a lot about the, the other features, but you brought up a new one, which uh, I think that the name itself is a little bit unclear. Uh, somebody who does multiple different programming languages, but sealed classes. I think it's kind of similar to like... Um, what do they call those like a maybe type where you can get like it's something or nothing, right? It's something like that, if I understand correctly, a union it, type, right? It can be built to do that. So a sealed class enables abstract data types. And I'm going to distinguish that from unions. And I'm probably going to get this backward and wrong. Sorry for everybody that watches this, that knows the right terminology. I'm going to describe it the way I remember it in the morning after a short night's sleep. So we'll see. Um, so a union type is where I can arbitrarily say, uh, well, I'll use a real one, where future is either a future T or a T. Future or is either a future T or a T. That's a built-in union type. It's taking two different types and letting them both squish into the same space. That's different from an abstract data type, although it's a subset of abstract data types. And an abstract data type is you can have a user-defined base class, and you can have a bunch of arbitrary uh, child classes from there, extensions of the, the original class. And then you can say this parameter is of the base class type, where really it can be any one of the derived classes. Now, that's kind of a union, but it means you're starting with your own top level. You're always making that base class yourself. So what Dart got added was the way to easily make abstract data types uh, better than it did before, and but did not get unions. Unions are still in discussion 
but it's sort of falling by the wayside. There's a lot of other things like macros that really have a much higher priority. Uh, but ADTs, abstract data types, get us part of the way in that we can define things like you brought up the idea of either or option or any of the other functional programming, the higher kinded types, where a type is, a, is somehow a component of or has components of other types. Um, it lets us do this by one amazingly cool thing. If I can mark a base class as sealed, what I'm telling the compiler is the only bit, uh, derived classes from this base class are right here in this library, typically right here in this file. And that means it knows that if it sees my type imported to another file over there somewhere, and somebody says, this is this base type, then the compiler knows it can only be one of these five derived types that it's seen over here. It can never be another thing that somebody else says, my class extends this base class. That gives it the ability to do computations based on the possibilities of types. It makes the type system strong. And this comes in in a couple of ways. One, we can compute then all the possible ways that this type can be used. And the other is that we can use switches that are need to be exhaustive to know that we've handled all the possible cases of whether it's this type or 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 some combination of those and so on. The ability to exhaustively uh, consider a switch gives us predictable code all the way down. And that's the beauty that Sealed brings to us. And that's another thing that rolled out in Dart 3, not talked about as much, but is very important as we start creating more ADTs. New features, I don't know if it's just me or maybe you see it the same way, but I feel like they build upon each other. You know, mm -hmm. with seal classes, you can use the, the switching and the pattern matching. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's an exhaustive too, like you said, and makes things easier. They all really build upon each other, which I think is the first time I've ever really noticed it. I mean, is it, is it, you seem to feel the same also, right? Well, a lot of things on the NNBD release were kind of building on each other that now that we had, you know, null safe operations for this and that, we can link them together easier. We didn't have to say is null as much as we did before or equals null. Sorry, boy, you're going to yell at me for saying is null. Um, yes, yeah, so never do that. Uh, and I don't know why I never do that, but it, uh, I know the compiler complains at me if I do that. Because it means the same thing, doesn't it? Come on, guys. No, is 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 an identity, right? That's what they say in Python. The same with uh, SQL, too, right? You have to say is null and cannot say equals to null. It's, it is confusing. I wish we would just choose one. Yeah, well, it's, uh, don't even bring up SQL's tri-state logic. No, 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 no. Let's, let's not go there. Um, that's just wrong on a whole bunch of different levels, but okay. Um, and the fact that NAN is never equal to NAN. Oh, man, that's another one, too. Not a number is never equal to not a number, even though they're exactly the same. Even though it's same. still a number, right? It's No, it's not a number. And when you overflow in IEEE floating point, you get an NAN. And the NAN is never equal to any other NAN. 
I could have sworn in JavaScript if you asked the type of NAN, it does say like it's a number or something weird like that. Maybe it's been a while. It's number-ish. It's, it can be held in a float, yes, but it's not, it's not any equal to any other float, including itself. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's, now we're getting into SJX. Is, is this programming 101 or is this uh, actually programming? This is programming 1000 if you talk about this kind of topic. Exactly. Uh, no, but it's nice. It's nice that the rollout for Dart three included these major things together, and so we get the ability for ADTs to immediately come in to uh, switch exhaustivity. Um, that's probably not even a word, but make something up that's close to that, I guess. And and, and they all kind of tie together, and records for destructuring and pulling things out. There are still some odd cases that either they considered but didn't think they could implement in time. It's still, like, not possible. You can have a record be a parameter coming in to a um, to a function. And you can have, you can even define the shape of the record right there. You can say, you know, paren int comma string, close paren, and say, well, that's the type of this parameter. But you can't destructure it there. You can only define the shape, and I think that's a sh that's a that's a mis misgiving a bit. And it might be that they couldn't work out the syntax cleanly for it. It's easy enough. You take the variable that that's that's that parameter, and you destructure it in the first line of your code. But it's like I wish I could kind of do that right there. That would be nice. And maybe in a future version of Dart, you'll get that. Uh, but right now, you can't. Yeah, as I mean, I'm usually working with like Elixir and Erlang, so they have some really nice pattern matching that you can do. If I can do stuff like that, I think that would be a lot more fun. I would have less and less of a need to have conditions anymore. Yeah. Oh well, uh, and also don't overlook. This is also kind of cool. Don't overlook the new win conditional. They call it a guard. The win guard on on case items. Where you can say this pattern, but only when this bool. And the great part about that is that then it can fall through if the win is false. And it can have exactly the same pattern and then a catch-all. And it's it's really slick. And that pattern, or the win, sorry, the bool, the guard, can refer to variables you've just created. So for example, if this is a list. And that list has at least three items. You can say that in a win. Really slick. Really slick stuff. I don't think we've even seen the edges of playing with this stuff yet. I think there's plenty more stuff for me to discover to play with because I've used a lot of other languages too. And I can bring some of my uh, amusements from other languages directly there. I've been doing some functional programming with it and created things that are horribly inefficient, like building my own fold. Uh, and doing it in a functional programming uh, strategy of no mutations. Uh, Fold really wants to do mutations behind the scenes, but if you can do it, if you can do it without mutations and just do it by copying itself, copying the the old data to a new new position. If you're doing only immutable transitions, I've got about a three line thing I'm doing with a switch that basically calls itself recursively and does exactly the right thing and creates a fold, including carrying along the accumulator 
from one item to the next. It's really cool. Um, so that's the kind of thing we're going to see with this stuff. Uh, not efficient, but elegant, I think is the word I used. Yeah, I, I like this direction. This is, I've been looking forward for Dart to have pattern matching for years as somebody who uses functional programming before I became a Dart. And I'm so happy we have it. And now there's more functional stuff I'm hoping to see. Like, have you ever seen F-sharp have like that pipe operator where you can kind mm -hmm. of pipe a lot of functions in line? That is something I would love to have. Uh, it just makes life easier. It makes code so easy to read if you can read. Okay, here's my thing. Step one, step two, step three. You can read it very easily if you do something like that. If we can have transformations, that'd be nice. But maybe I'm asking for too much because this is Dart. This is not a, a functional language, actually. So, but... I mean, can dream. It, it, it's becoming more of everything, though. Um, and and it, there's a fine dance that the Dart, you know, architects are having to play in that they don't want this to be a kitchen sink language. Pearl's already out there. <laughs> oh, boy, I'm gonna, all my Pearl fans are going to yell at me now. But, you know, but they don't want that. They want... Uh, Dart to slowly introduce new technologies only as quickly as it will open up a huge solution set for the problem space at hand. And so every change, especially breaking changes, have to be considered carefully knowing that there are a million apps written in Flutter in the app stores you know you can't do something that's going to offend the maintenance of those with dart changes just not going to play yeah i can i can definitely understand that yeah yeah i mean is there anything else in dart 3 that we're missing i think those are the big features there's a couple other minor ones i mean the thing that brought us sealed also brought us five other keywords i think final and and some other ones, uh, interface and stuff. Um, the the one that changed it so that mix-ins have to be marked as mix-ins now is a breaking change, and I kind of think it was okay. There are, in order to mix a class in, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, and if you can optimize not doing that stuff behind the scenes, if it's never a mix-in, uh, that can definitely help the op the build process. So I know that's a good thing for them. The one that I'm most concerned about, and everybody seems to be most concerned about, is what to do about final. Final on a class says that only classes in the same library, again, pretty much same file, can extend that class. But what has been the way of setting up a mock when you're doing testing. You implement or extend the class that you want to mock so that you can test the rest of your code around the interface to that base class. Okay, you can't do that anymore. If I mark my class final, you can't use it in your testing with a mock. You can only use my original objects. And I may not have a good debugging backdoor in my objects, but you still need to test with that somehow. 
So this is a big concern. It was addressed in some of the early documents about these new keywords, but they decided to go ahead and implement the keywords for Dart 3 and say, we'll fix this later. Well, now is later. So they're trying to work out strategies about what, how do you do it? Do you reopen the final with a debug keyword? Maybe you can create a subclass in the same library that's marked uh, uh, visible for testing, things like that. There's, there's a lot of uh, possibilities in discussion, but nothing is done. And so this is the problem with the final class. You cannot use it to mock, you cannot mock one of them in your tests. So it hurts the people that are using other people's packages. So how does Java solve this? Because obviously Java has the final keyword. I've never spent more time with Java than I absolutely had to. So I don't. <laughs> Same as me. But I mean, the, the, you must be able to look to other languages that have this similar issue, right? To see what they're doing. In Smalltalk, everything is available. I mean, we have mirrors in Smalltalk. Perl, yeah, pretty much everything's open. The symbol table is accessible from everywhere else. So, um, you know, in, in permissive languages, this isn't a problem. And it wasn't a problem up until Dart 3. But the addition of the final keyword for the first time made there be a library boundary on things you could do. And you can't implement, extend, or mix in a class that's marked final outside of the library. That's just the way it is. And it's transitive right now. And that's another thing they're discussing. I can't create another class in my own library that loosens some of the restrictions that I am, in, that I am enforcing with final with the base class. If they only allowed my own classes to loosen restrictions, that would also solve some of the problems. But uh, again, that's not in place yet. It was discussed, but it was decided it was easier to enforce recursion, recursive restrictions in the initial go. And we'll see how much that hurts us. And apparently it's, it's, it's a bit hurting still. Yeah. Oh, okay. We haven't really talked about anything that's new and new and flutter. I'm not other than fleshing out material 310 and adding a few new interesting widgets. Uh, I don't think that flutter really made as big of a transition for Google IO as dart did. I think darts darts three release was huge and there's already a new beta out for dart 3.1 and flutter 3.11 or 12, whatever they're calling the numbering. So, um, yeah, go check it out. Yeah, I use Puro, by the way. I don't know if that was available when I talked to you last, but I know many people swear by FVM, the, the Flutter Virtual Manager. Puro is its successor by a different author that I think works in a much nicer and friendlier way and much more efficient way. Uh, let's say with FVM, you had version... Uh, 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 3.7.6 of Flutter, and you also wanted Flutter 3.10, you would end up having two entirely separate installations of all of what is almost essentially the same objects in both of those Git repos that you've just downloaded. 
Puro recognizes that Flutter releases are Git repos and only downloads the deltas and only stores the deltas, which means to install a new version of Flutter with Puro is like seconds instead of minutes. And it's really a lot more fun. It's a lot more flexible. It also knows how to talk to VS Code and Android Studio and automatically insert the proper pathway into them uh, based on the Puro use command. So if you get that from Puro.dev, check that out. I think it's really kind of clever. Also, just, I don't know, as a bonus, uh, the author threw in uh, Puro eval. So you can say Puro eval in a string. And it runs it as Dart code. It compiles it and executes it and dumps out the results. So it's kind of a quick one-liner if you just want to check something out real quickly in Dart without firing up a project. I've never heard of Bureau before. It's interesting. Okay. This yeah. is pretty cool. I might be looking at that. I'm using ASDF to manage basically most of my stuff. Uh-huh. And that has each one has its own separate folder. So yeah, I can understand how that would be quite a lot of work on your hard drive, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think we went through all the features of Google I.O. with Dart 3 and Flutter. Yeah, like you said, I was a little bit underwhelmed about Flutter. There wasn't much going on. And I'm a little bit still surprised. Why are we still doing Material 3? What, what? It's been many years, I think. I wish it was over with, but I understand there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, Material 3 radically changed a bunch of stuff. And so to try to comply with that at all the different levels in Flutter, it was definitely a lot of work. And it also had a lot of breaking changes. And it had a lot of really weird things. Oh, man, the math you go through to figure out what the shadow color of your button is, depending on its state, which has nine different Booleans that can all be either true or false. And then... You need to get the right colors based on that, but not just the colors you have in a list that's nearby. No, it has to be based on a theme, which is partially based on the user's theme for his, you know, prefers purple for everything. And so all your biases are in your buttons have to be purple biased because it's the color. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's gotten to the point where when people ask me, how do I make this button blue? I kind of just throw my hands up and I go, I don't even know anymore. Um, I do want to write a tool and maybe this will be the incentive to actually get this thing done. Here's what the tool would do. It would sit between your, um, your uh, material app and the rest of your code and uh, act as a it'll, it would go into the builder slot of your material app and that means it's a it's above the navigator but below sort of whatever your material is setting up there's that one slot in the middle called builder and um so it wouldn't have to deal with any of the routing it would pass that on to, to the actual um, whatever navigation you were using but what it would do is it would grab the theme and change all the colors to various shades of gray, except for one color that it would change to a bright red or whatever you chose. And then you could, it would put an overlay up when you activate, it would put an overlay up, change all those colors, except the one named color to a bright red. 
And then you would tap a left arrow and right arrow, and it would step through all the 1,700 colors of the theme. And when you got to, like, secondary color, boom, oh, the, there's the thing that I need to have red or need to have need to change. Oh, I get it. It's secondary color I need to change. I think that would be a useful app, an, a, useful, a, a useful package, basically color finder to tell you for a given layout and a given combination of the way you're doing theming will tell you what the heck is the name of the color that controls that. Think that'd be a cool thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, I kind of like the idea that there is, this has happened to me quite a few times where it's like I had to change one color, one very random color on a very particular widget. and It's really annoying. And then like you have to like command click all the way through and you find out it's something in the theme and you change that. But then, of course, because it's in the theme, that's going to change the other oh, instances yeah. that are using that. And it's like, oh, my God. I'd... So then you have to. But then at least Flutter gives you that the a widget. I forgot the name of the widget where you can like have like a sub theme or something just for that one widget. Yeah. You put another theme layer and you say theme derives on the parent theme. Yeah, exactly. So luckily, there's a way that you can get around it. But it's like, right. oh, my God, like it's not. You know, that's kind of going back to the whole thing about the, you know, the the famous object-oriented programming is like the the gorilla holding the banana with the whole forest or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I feel like with the theme in Flutter sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, is there? I think we went through everything for for Dart three. Not much for Dart for Flutter, but it's pretty pretty solid. I think it's still a great release so far. Oh, so a couple more announcements, sort of that are really pertinent to me. Um, one is that, uh, Petit Parser, P-E-T-I-T -E Parser is getting Dart 3 work put into it. Uh, I, it is a parser generator. So you basically build something that looks very BNF-like, but using native Dart to do it. And then you can say, go parse this thing and transform it this way. If you've used Yak uh in c it's similar to that you're basically defining a grammar and a lexer for that grammar and then having actions based on that and uh petite parser was originally created in Smalltalk 20 years ago which is how i learned of it back in my small talk days but uh the author has now gone into three or four other languages including java but now he's sort of really at home in dart and has taken advantage of Dart 3's records. And so that release is imminent. I've been tracking that with him. So that's a big Dart 3 shift possible, which make, empowers these fundamental packages. One of the ways that, uh, for example, this Petit Parser is used is if you've ever used XML and you use the XML package, all that XML is being parsed by Petit Parser. So that's how powerful it is to be able to deal with complex grammars like XML and get it right. Um, and there's actually about a, something like three or four dozen packages in Flutter or in, in the pub that are using Petit Parser. Uh, the expression generator, uh, the SQL parser, the bunch of other stuff are all written in this because it's really easy then to parse an arbitrary set of logics with uh, whatever you want to do. So that's now Dart becoming soon real Dart 3 compatible. The other one, one of my favorite packages, uh, which will give you more of this functionality like either and other, 
is FPDART. And I've been tracking that for quite a while. Sandro has been doing some remarkable work in documenting really cool things, really building FPDART out. Uh, since we last talked, I think there's probably nine tenths of the classes he wanted to create are now fleshed out. Um, I finally figured out that he's building this almost directly on FPTS, the TypeScript library. So I can actually go there and get some documentation and examples for things that he hasn't got examples for yet. But he's building a RiverPod FP Dart thing. He's also really embracing Dart 3. So Dart 3 is going to be using sealed class uh, for FP Dart for Dart 3. It's going to be using sealed classes for either and option, which means you can do exhaustive switching. Uh, it's going to be using records instead of tuples for tuple 2. In, built into the system uh, and a lot of other interesting minor um, Dart 3 things. That's not out yet. It's in beta, so you can play with it right now. Uh, more documentation on the way. Uh, I'm really enjoying his attention to detail and his skill at doing this um, because you're working with a limited generic system that can't really do what he's doing, but it does because he saw how to do it with another sort of primitive generic language in, I think it was PHP of all things, and figured out how to do that with Dart, where um, to basically create uh, uh, higher kinded types in Dart in a really strong, consistent way so that the typing system just works all the way from the front to the back. And so I would check that out too. One of the things that's also being added is this thing you called uh, with pipe uh, is uh, he's creating do blocks now. So you can say do and then a series of options that transform the option, or you can create side variables at the same time. So you can get sort of a state variable without needing to have it be a formal uh, state layer and uh, it's really looking nice it's really looking like a nice compromise between the limited syntax that we have with dart uh, but still having it be uh, functional programming in in the large so i'm uh, fp dart check that out uh, fp dart and petite parser both uh, highly recommend those and of course riverpod too you know, that came out since the last we talked, and RiverPod 2 is quite significantly different from RiverPod 1. Okay, there's been a lot of stuff happening that I haven't actually seen. <laughs> well, that's why you talk to somebody like me. I'm keeping my ear to the ground constantly. It's been longer than six months, so I got to catch up with you. Yeah, you, you ought to just put a, just mark your calendar six months from now. You know, or since this is practically the first day of summer, Maybe uh, maybe quarterly on the equinoxes and the solstices. You can call up and say, Randall, what's the latest in everything? Yeah. We could definitely have something on a quarterly or biannually basis, and we're happy to do that if you have Or just time. the solstices, right. And, I, of course, I think that way because my company's name is Stonehenge. So I'm always thinking about solstices and equinoxes and stuff and, and uh, how I missed going to – the real Stonehenge by one day uh, where I couldn't actually walk up and touch the stones. Someday I'll get back to England and actually go on the day where you can go up and touch the stones uh, because that would be really cool. In the meanwhile, I'll just have to be Stonehenge Consulting Services 
of the U.S. Happily with Stonehenge.com, uh, even though the U.K. people want it. I go, no, I'm using it. <laughs> you can't have that. Have they offered you some a decent amount of money for that? No, they were just going to take it. Uh, there's rules in the international naming stuff about if if I was just squatting it, they would have it. But I'm not just squatting it. It's in heavy use. So, no, it's mine. Definitely mine. Um, so I, at the Stonehenge has pivoted multiple times in its history. And now primarily it's a one-man shop. It's me. And I'm uh, always looking for dart and flutter contracts and uh, long-term projects in particular. But uh, what I've been doing recently is offering um, like one hour consultations. And so we jump on a, um, a zoom call or a Google meet and, uh, I will review your code or, uh, mentor you in whatever topic, uh, I can prepare for, or just happen to know off my cuff. And I know a lot of things off cuff, so we can do that sort of on the fly or, uh, uh, pair programming, which has been really fun. Somebody will enlist me to do an hour of pair programming with them where they're walking through their code and I go, oh, change this to that. and Or they'll start coding a new thing and I'll tell them, well, how about this instead of that? And so they're they're basically renting my brain for an hour of their own coding. And that's been a lot of fun too. I charge reasonable rates for that, but I'm mostly looking for longer term stuff because I'd like to be able to know I can make both this month's rent and next month's rent. So uh, I'm not filthy rich. I'm still living paycheck to paycheck like most other people. You'd think at age 61, I would have done the right thing. But as we were talking before the show, I've lived a, a roller coaster life where I've done some really, really amazing things in my life. Been I've been in uh, roughly 100 countries around the world. I've been uh, 500 sea days on, on various cruise ships. Uh, you know, I I've flown 270 hours in small planes. Um, I've done all these really cool and fun things. I've owned a bar in Eastern Oregon for a while. Um, but it's also been up and down. I've had my good days and bad days. One of my favorite songs to sing at karaoke is That's Life from Frank Sinatra because it so fits what I've experienced. Um, and And so, you know, yeah, if you're out there and you're thinking maybe a sharp cookie is a good thing for your organization. Just let me know. I'm reachable on discord. I'm reachable on, uh, uh Slack. Uh, you just Google my name. You'll find my Wikipedia page. I think it has my email address there too. So, uh, yeah, I'm around. Yeah. I was going to say like, what's the best way? Like, uh, cause you obviously you're full of knowledge and, uh, both from, you know, from your history, from your, your background and everything else. So, the the best way to hold of you maybe is probably I mean if you go to stonehedge.com, there can definitely get a hold of you and find you. Yeah, right? my email address is there. Although uh, typically uh I find that the people that uh could best use my services are already starting to plug in to the socials. So they're they're uh, if you go to flutter.dev slash community, you'll see the links to the Discord and the Slacks and the stack overflow tag that you should use and things like that. And if you post anywhere there, I'll see it. 
and we end up sometimes creating dialogues out of that. So uh, I'm pretty easy to find any one of those ways. Uh, you can also, um, and I'm almost embarrassed with this name, and I'll, I could explain the history of it, but I'm Real Merlin with a Y, R-E-A-L-M-E-R-L-Y-N at gmail.com. And uh, uh, you can you can email there too. Uh, that one's an easy one to reach me at. I'm watching that all day, just like every all the rest of my six emails that I have separate accounts for. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy to reach. I'm probably one of the easiest people to reach because I'm, I'm somewhere 24 by seven, even when I'm sleeping, I'm logged into all those socials. So I wake up in the morning. First thing I do is go, what changed? <laughs> what else did some people post overnight? Cause the sun never sets on the flutter empire. You know, there's something happening 24 seven with, uh, with flutter. Are you one of the people that if we really wanted to get a hold of your attention, we would just say the wrong thing just to make you all riled up or no? Please don't do that. Because if I don't see it, then it becomes the wrong thing for other people. Uh, okay, okay. I, I thought I thought if we say the wrong thing, you automatically pop out of the, the corner. I have been known to do that, but I don't know that I can promise that I have 100% coverage. So it's sort of like, oh, so it'd be like just jumping off the, the, the tight wire and knowing that you'll be have the net there to catch me. No, no, don't count on the net. Come on. Don't jump into the net. Don't treat the don't treat the safety net as a trampoline, I used to hear. You know. As uh, a, yeah, that's a good that's a good uh good way to say it. Awesome. I mean, is there I mean, I feel like uh we really went through a whole lot of stuff today. I mean, is there anything else I missed? I mean, we even found out how to how to connect with you, what you're working on, all the things in Dart three and in Flutter. Anything else we've missed today? I I think, you know, having heard at I/O that there were a million Flutter apps in the stores, has made me a lot more confident today than I was the last time I was talking to you because I think I had just started the transition from being full-time Pearl. And I think it just recently fired my last Pearl client and had done the full-time transition only a couple of years ago. So I've been dealing with Flutter for five years since its inception. You know, Flutter GDE for four of those, I believe. And I've been dealing with Dart for over 10 years. Um, and, but I hadn't really said, this is my primary income for more than about, a year and a half, two years now. And I was really sort of like just jumping into it at that point, hoping that I was jumping in the same way I jumped into Pearl back before the first book, because I wrote the first book. Back before the first book, it was just something interesting that had come over on Usenet that I was using and it was useful for me. I jumped in on that because it looked like it'd be an interesting thing to start learning and, and trying to promote. I became Larry Wall's biggest cheerleader and ended up getting Pearl into a lot of places. The book that Larry and I wrote together, Programming Pearl, created the industry uh, for or created the um, desire for Pearl because all of a sudden now it's a book and a really well-written book, I'll have to say, even though it's pimping myself a bit. Um, but I had lots of practice at writing good books before that. So that's the only reason I was able to say that. Um, but Pearl was in at the right place at the right time to help create the interactive web 
which as we all know, within a year or two, created the dot-com boom for the commercial web. So in, in a sense, I knew that I jumped in that time back then at the right time. And I had a feeling I was jumping in at the right time for Flutter. I knew Flutter had that cachet that Pearl had back when I said yes to Pearl. And I think a year later, a year and a half later, it's proving out. We see Flutter being taken up, taken up much more than React Native. We see Flutter on multiple platforms. We see it pretty much everywhere that bits are being drawn on the screen. We see Dart doing more Dart server-side stuff. And uh, with platforms like um, ServerPod and and uh, uh, Dart Frog. And I'm trying to think of the third one. Um, anyway, it'll come to me after the show, I'm sure. But, uh, but so we're seeing a lot more server-side, client-side stuff. And a lot more deploy, better Flutter web uh, for uh, with shorter load times, more selectable downloads uh, for Flutter web. Lots of things are really working out well. And the community is huge uh, worldwide. Um, again, I couldn't have predicted all this. But I had a hunch, once again, this was going to go somewhere, and I'm happy I made that leap, and I'm happy now that I get to spend every day playing with a new technology that I've nowhere near mastered. Despite the way I present myself here, I'm still learning something every freaking day. You know, that's how much space there is to the Flutter space. And I was pretty much at the top of the space for Pearl, and it was boring after 20, 30 years, this has still got a long ways for me to go. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on most of that. You started before me. I mean, for me, I kept hearing about Dart and Flutter, and I was like, who cares? But I had to actually try it, and then I saw what it, you probably saw much sooner than me, which was the power, and there's definitely something here. Mm-hmm. So I don't regret it at all. In fact, I, the only thing I regret is I didn't do it sooner. That's my <laughs> biggest regret. That's my regret. Yeah. I, I Again, uh, my life has been a series of uh, unbelievable coincidences. And one of those was the fact that my friend, Wim Leeler, who I had known for 30 years here in Portland, had gone to work for Google in the Portland offices, downtown Portland for Google. And he was uh, essentially uh, community relations DevRel for Dart and Flutter. And I had gone down just to visit him in downtown Portland. Uh, ooh, did I tell the story in the previous time? Maybe I did, but maybe not. If not, okay. Yeah. And so I had gone to visit him because I knew I'd at least get a free lunch out of it. And I wanted to pitch Angular Dart book to him. Because at that point, Angular Dart looked pretty cool, and I'd done a lot of web dev, but all of a sudden, I could do JavaScript dev without doing any JavaScript. And I thought that was pretty nice. And he just shook his head and said, you don't want to do a book on Angular Dart, Randall. Now, what he couldn't tell me was, at the time, they had already had the internal discussions to shut down Angular Dart externally. He couldn't tell me that because, you know, he's an employee. But he walked me over to his desk, and he showed me how it reload. At that moment, 
I had never before wanted to do mobile apps. I immediately said, this is interesting. I like this. This I can do. I went home and installed Flutter that night on my machine. And within a few hours, I had an icon on my phone that didn't come from the Apple store. And I said, this is revolutionary. And that's how I got started. I was in the right place at the right time with the right friends and the right physical location and everything that could have been right was right. And that's how I'm here today talking to you as an expert because I started that as my trek to get to here. Yeah, you're definitely very lucky to, to be in those situations. But you've also had some unlucky situations too. So mm-hmm. there's no <laughs> let's not talk about those anymore. I have I have the roller coaster. I have I, I like I said, I I'm uh, that's life is a song that describes my life very accurately. I've gone up and down. Uh, I, this, the quick summary is I've lost six figures in my life four times. And there's not many people that can say that. Uh, but this is why I'm still living paycheck to paycheck today. I will have to work based on my current circumstances. I will have to work till I drop dead. And I don't mind because my work is amazingly fun. If this is work, send me to work every day, please. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that, that people will hear this and, and see your expertise and reach out and uh, keep you busy. I hope so, too. I hope so. I always look forward to being overbooked instead of being underbooked. And uh, always the right problem to have. And it also means then all my friends that have written to me and said, hey, is there anything you got going on? I said, look, I'm still working for looking for work myself. Uh, but I can go back and talk to some of them and uh, vet them for y'all too. So there might be a way of uh, leveraging and me becoming a manager again, although I'm a better code hacker than I'm a people hacker that I've, I've understood for most of my life. So, uh, you know, the, the, the big heyday of when I had five instructors working for me uh, for Pearl trainings all over the country and around the world, uh, I wasn't really managing them. They were all brilliant people in and of themselves. All they wanted was a paycheck at the end of the week. And I was easy at that kind of managing, <laughs> but I'm not much better at like the day by day managing for people. Uh, so I'm, I'm not applying for software manager anywhere. It's not me. I can kind of do it. I understand a lot more than I let myself under, uh, believe I understand, but, uh, that's not my job. My job is to make brilliant code dance. So, and if I can get other people to do it by pair programming, whatever, much happier. All right. Well, we've run way over time. Uh, it's quite late over here. So, <laughs> and uh, I know you're just starting your day off. Um, yeah. I don't, did, if we missed something, did we miss anything? I don't think we did. Right. I think we went through, we went above and beyond what we managed to go through today. As I always know, five minutes after sending you away, I'm going to remember, oh, we didn't talk about this. This is, But that's just more invitation than to invite me back in three to six months again. That's why we have the solstice uh, period, yeah. right? Let's do solstices. Let's do winter and summer. That's fine with me. <laughs> so make sure you keep your notes ready for the next period then. 
December 21st or 20th, depending on exactly where we are and spinning around the, the sun. Yeah. All right. All right. And well, until the next solstice, uh, it's good to have you back on. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that you're too busy by next solstice that you cannot <laughs> come back on. That's my my wish. That would be the right problem to have. Yes, exactly. All right. Again, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me.